everyone, and welcome to the Dribble Podcast, your home for basketball in WA, with an inside look at the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and WA basketball throughout the 2021-22 seasons. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian Newspaper, and throughout this year, I'll be joined by a host of guests to provide you with as much insight and entertainment as your basketball brain can handle. In this week's episode, we'll be speaking with Perth Wildcats big man and dual NBL championship winner, Majuk Majuk, as he prepares to face the club he won his first title with and confront NBL MVP candidate and very good friend Joe Uluwal Achul. Plus, we're lucky to have the only player in Perth Link's history to win a grand final MVP award, Tanya Fisher, to discuss that historic night 30 years ago, her life in basketball and her thoughts on the current team's prospects of ending the championship drought. There's been a little bit of basketball being played by our WA teams at the moment. We had the Lynx on Saturday, then the Wildcats on Sunday, then the Lynx on Monday. We're recording this podcast on Tuesday. Lynx are back on Wednesday. Wildcats play Thursday. They both got Friday off, and then they both play again on Saturday before the Wildcats play again on Monday. It feels like every second day, or almost every day at the moment, there's something basketball happening. So since we last recorded this podcast, the Wildcats have obliterated Adelaide 36ers and are now third on the ladder. The Lynx got embarrassed by last place Sydney Uni Flames to lose top spot and then ran a muck against Adelaide Lightning, the same team that took their position on top of the ladder. Suddenly the Lynx are ladder leaders again. And now we're preparing for 1v3 games for both the Wildcats and the Lynx. It's a grand final rematch for the Wildcats against Melbourne United, while the Lynx have a rematch against Adelaide Lightning. One man who has a huge assignment for the Wildcats is our guest today, Majuk Majuk. Welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Massive week for the Wildcats. You've got Melbourne United on Thursday night. It's a rematch of last year's grand final. It's almost also a rematch of a pretty enthralling game last month. And based on everything we're hearing, the word defence is being thrown around by the coach and the captain today at training. What, what do you expect to see from the team? Uh, yeah, we're definitely uh, going to have to come out and lock out, lock down defensively. Um, obviously, the last time we played, we got up to a very good start, but then uh, we kind of let our full foot off the gas and uh, let them back into the game with our defensive lapses. So uh, this time around, we have to uh, play defense for uh, 40 minutes. So rebounding is going to be another massive factor in the game. You'll be facing Joe Luala Chul again without Matt Hodgson, and JLA is in some extraordinary form. His wife is heavily pregnant, and that could impact on him actually being in- involved in the game at this point. They'll have to wait and see. But how difficult is he to play against? Uh, yeah, he's, really, he's having a really good year. Um, he's feeling confidence. Um, he's got the green light to shoot. Uh, he's playing very well. So, uh, yeah, it's just going to be up to us, the, uh, the bigs, to try and slow him down and uh, make it tough for him. So I'm really curious about your relationship with him. You, it's amazing to think of how big this world is. You two are born 16 months apart, about a couple hundred kilometres away from each other in Sudan. Both moved to Perth. Both went to the same school here, Kingsway Christian College. Were playing soccer, then chose basketball, end up in America, back in the NBL, and you both won titles. Like It's unbelievable to think of the journey you two have been on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah growing up as kid, uh, kids, uh, uh, definitely had that same uh goal uh, to play uh, professional basketball um, so like yeah we're very close uh, family, family relatives as well so uh, yeah it's, uh, it's good to see him uh, playing well this year. So were you you being older than him were you a year ahead of him at school or were you a couple of years ahead of him at school? Yeah 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 definitely a couple of years ahead of him. So wh- where did the relationship build from then? Uh, yeah just uh, playing pickup uh, like during recess uh, playing basketball uh, 
whether it's on a Saturday uh, with a group of friends just going to play basketball together. Uh, and also, uh, uh, like we're family, really close family friends. Uh, so they used to come over as a family and uh, have like dinner and stuff like that. So, yeah. So was it was there a bit of one-on-one in, in the backyard and things like that going on between you two? Uh, I mean, back then, I don't think we were uh, uh, very much into basketball like that. Like, uh, like I said, well, we grew up playing soccer, so... There's basically a lot of uh, soccer games going up uh, in the backyard, but uh, yeah, we kind of like picked up basketball uh, late. I find the soccer background intriguing. You're a 206 centimetre powerful beast, and he's even bigger at 211 and this athletic giant. There's only one non goalkeeper in the English Premier League who's two metres tall, and you two big guys are trying to play, play soccer. It just doesn't go with what we're accustomed to seeing. Why were you drawn to soccer at that point? Yeah, like growing up, like the sports that was uh, very popular around us was uh, soccer, and uh, that's what our friends were playing. Even uh, my dad grew up playing soccer, so yeah, it was just uh, what we were accustomed to. So, who was responsible for saying to both of you, "We reckon you could be pretty handy at basketball"? Uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, my mom. Uh, yeah, like she was like, "You're pretty tall to uh, be playing soccer out there." Uh, the one thing she told me is like, "Taller you are, the harder it is to fall. It's gonna hurt." So you might, might have to switch to uh, where your height is in good use, which is uh, basketball. So as you progress through the ranks, as you said, you end up in America. He ends up in America, and you both followed a slightly different path to the NBL. How how did you maintain that relationship while you're overseas, or did did you even maintain it, or was it built back up again when you both got back to Australia? Uh, no, we're always, uh, you know, uh, stay in touch wherever someone is at. Not as much as we would like, but uh, everybody just kind of went their own way, doing their own thing, and uh, now back in the same league, which is pretty cool. So how big is the rivalry, personally, between you two as you prepare to come up against each other? Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely uh, after they beat us last time. So uh, definitely going to be ready to uh, make sure we get this win. So you mentioned before that you're both born in Sudan and then you both moved over here. Your sister is involved in a really important project over here. She's the founding director and CEO of the Australian Africa Sports Association. Like, what does she do for people like yourself who have come to this country now and are trying to forge a career in any landscape, whether it's sport or business? Uh, yeah, definitely um, a really good platform to try to provide the younger generation with an easy path to whether it be basketball or education. Like a lot of people didn't have back when we were growing up, so to kind of have that platform, uh, it's a it's really huge for for the upcoming kids. So yourself, you're involved. Deng Adele's name is part is linked to it. Thon Maker, Peter Boll, yeah. the Olympian Olympic runner, who was such an inspiration to everyone throughout the country uh, throughout throughout the Olympics with his, his amazing performance. Like, what do you try to bring to help that organisation to to flourish? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, obviously um, having all these people that have been successful uh, in their own sports just come together and uh, just show like the younger generation that you too can do that so it's just uh for us to make sure we all reach out and uh trying to show them the path it's been a while since you had a chance to see monica hadn't it? you caught up with her i believe while you're in melbourne as part of the the nine weeks away yeah 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 we actually uh caught up uh it was actually in sydney she came to uh, the game over there yeah yeah so i hadn't seen her for the last two years just because of COVID. so it was really good to catch up it's ironic isn't it that all the rest of the team were all disappointed they couldn't catch up with their family in perth and you're finding family on the other side of the country it, it has worked in different ways for people hasn't it the, the inability to to cross borders from a family perspective 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it was definitely uh, tough for uh, everyone, but uh, it, it is it is what it is. Uh, it's the hand we were dealt with, and it was just how to go with it. So it's been an interesting challenge, as we've said, for the team throughout the entire season. It was such a good win the other day in taking your uh, win-loss record now into the positive territory for being on the road. How is everyone feeling now that you're sort of settling back into a more normal lifestyle again? Uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, been great just being back home for these couple of days. Just being, being able to uh, see your family, sleep in your own bed. It's just, uh, you know, it's great now. Uh, just got to lock back in and uh, try and get some more uh, wins on the road. So this is usually the part of the podcast where I announce the votes for our Dribble Podcast MVP award. But as with a couple of times this season, I was in the voting panel for the actual Perth Wildcats MVP award for the Adelaide game. So we have to keep those votes confidential. But I can provide an update on where we sit with the overall Telly. We have Bryce Cotton leading on 36 votes, followed by Vic Law on 28. And then it's daylight to Luke Travers, who's in third on 10, such as the dominance of Bryce and Vic this season. As I mentioned before, no, uh, Matt Hodgson at the moment, given he's got a calf injury, which really puts a lot of added responsibility on you. I always look at you as a bloke who wants to have as many minutes as possible rather than resting at any point. You seem to be at your best when you're on court for an extended period. Would that be the case? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, when whenever I play a lot of minutes, yeah, it just gives me the ability to be able to uh, help the team, whether it's uh, rebounding or whatever it's needed for me to do out there. So one of the challenges that you've got, and Matt Hodgson as well, is that this team has been designed to go small ball a, a hell of a lot. Is it difficult when you want to be out there, but you know that the way that the team's been put together, that you're going to have to spend a fair bit of time on the bench when they go small? Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely is, uh, especially for us big guys. Uh, we want to be out there as well. So um, sometimes it's what's best for the team. But yeah, it is what it is. You just gotta make sure we stay focused and uh, go back back out there and be able to help the team. Scott Morrison spoke at his press conference the other day and said that you two had had a, a good chat about that. That you want to be on the court, but sometimes it's better for the team if if you're not because of the way that they're trying to structure up. How important is it for you to be able to have those open conversations with the coach where he can give you a real insight into what he's thinking? And it's not necessarily form that he's not putting you on there. It's just that he wants to try a different structure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always great to have that kind of relationship with the coach. Uh, involved on what's going on and everything. Yeah, we, like, we trust him with everything we do. We just got to go out there and uh, execute his plans. So what will your focus points be heading into this game against Melbourne, knowing that Joe's in such great nick and that they rebound so strongly? What, what do you have to set yourself to do? in this game? Uh, one of the biggest things was uh, would be definitely uh, rebounding. We're going to be short-handed without uh, Magic Hudson, so i got to carry that load of uh, rebounding the ball and also uh, playing defense, stopping their bigs, and also uh, helping out the guards on the pick and roll. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot on the plate, but, uh, yeah, ready to do it. Every time I've interviewed you since the, you did the Achilles in 2020, we've always sort of said I had an Achilles injury at almost the exact same time as you. Had missed the 12 months, the big surgery and stuff, and we've often compared a couple of notes along the way about what it was like doing different things here and there. I found the pain crept back in at random times during seasons. Have you found that that you sometimes wake up and go, why am I feeling pain again today? No, that's actually one of the things that uh, has been great about this whole thing. Like since from the moment I got cleared to... uh start playing again I haven't felt any pain from there so the biggest thing they told me was just to keep doing your rehabs even when you're back playing again so getting your calves strong um, your legs uh, your quads and everything so I've been on top of that and that's what's been helping me doing well so far your leap's been really obvious as well like you haven't lost anything in terms of your spring have you yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, if anything, I feel like uh, yeah, I got stronger and uh, jumping even higher than 
season before I got injured, which is uh, uh, pretty awesome. How lonely was last year, given that you stayed in Perth when everyone else went away for the, for the hub part of it? Like that must have been really difficult to stay motivated and and just work on your rehab when you know there's no one else around to help you with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very tough. Uh, yeah, like when everyone was away, it was just me out here trying to do the rehab. Sometimes, some days you're motivated. Sometimes you're not. Um, it's just up and down, but. Uh, we just got to go through with it. Couldn't do nothing about it. Just watching uh, the guys on TV, not being able to be out there and help them out. But, uh, yeah, I just had, uh, stayed the course and uh, worked out at the end. We're at an, an interesting time in the world when you look at dates. Like today we were doing this interview, it's March 8, which is the anniversary of the last time basketball was actually normal. It was the Wildcats beating Sydney Kings 88-86 at Kudos Bank Arena in Game 1 of the 2020 Grand Final Series in front of 12,000 fans. And five days later, the gates were locked at ROC Arena for Game 2. Two, and then just shortly after that, Game 3 was played and then it was all over Red Rover. They cancelled the series. What are your memories when you look back now of winning a championship in that unique way? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a very unique championship, especially the way uh, it ended. But uh, yeah, we can't really complain about that. Um, we were up 2-1, so the game was cancelled. Uh, yeah, it was fitting that we should have won the, the title and uh, we right, rightfully deserved to win it. And you've won one with Melbourne as well. Like being a dual championship player, there aren't too many blokes in the, the comp other than Perth Wildcats guys, it feels like, who who actually won two. Like it has been such yeah. a dominant dominant performance by the Wildcats over the years. What's it meant to you to have had the success that you've had and know that you've got a, a long time in your career to go to chase some more championships? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a great feeling uh, winning a championship to different clubs and also joining a team like the Wildcats, a uh, great organization that I've won for so many uh, times. Uh, it just gives you uh, that more of a chance to win more uh, when you join them. So, uh, yeah, very happy to be here. Looking forward to winning more championships. Were they different in terms of the way the clubs celebrated them or commemorated them or looked back on them? It's like Wildcats have obviously won so many. Uh, in the aftermath of it all, what's, was there much of a difference between championship success and how it was celebrated by by the, by the teams? Uh, I wouldn't say there's much difference because uh, at the end of the day, a championship is a championship. Uh, you're going to have to celebrate when you win one because uh, it's not easy being able to win one. Like All the teams are competing. You're trying to win one and uh, when you do come up on top, yeah, you just got to make sure you celebrate. So, yeah. How do you rate your chances of, of winning another one this season? Yeah, our chances are very good. Um, I like our team. Uh, I like our coaching staff. Uh, I trust them in putting us uh, in a good position to win a championship. Uh, so we just got to continue to get better. Uh, that's the most important thing. We just want to make sure we play our best basketball uh, towards the end of the season. So we just got to have to keep growing. And just finally, we have a segment on the dribble called This or That. Just jump to either side of the fence, which you think when it comes to this question. And the question is, we're seeing such a rise in the standard of both the NBL and the WNBL in this country. We're still at 40-minute game after changing from 48 minutes a few years back. like, Do you think we're now at a stage where we could go back to 48 minutes or do you think 40 minutes is the the ideal length of time for a game? Uh, definitely 48 minutes. And wh- why? Why do you like that idea? Because uh, I feel I will give uh, a lot of players chances, even the guys who don't play a lot, to get a chance to be able to get in the game uh, with a 48-minute game. Is that a real challenge? Like We've seen the bench guys get one or two minutes a lot of the time, and it's not a good chance to develop the game. We saw yeah. that how, how good you became when you left Melbourne initially to, to go to New Zealand and then over here. Like If you're not yeah. playing, is it really hard to actually get better just based on training? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard because uh, at the end of the day, you need to be able to get in the game. Otherwise, yeah, you're definitely not going to be able to get better by just training. Because um, otherwise, if you're training and not getting in the game, then uh, you're not really doing much. 
are getting better. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, 48 minutes would certainly add to people's careers, that's for sure, give them more opportunities. I'm sure Bryce would still spend 47 minutes on the court, but I'm sure there'd be plenty of bench guys who would enjoy it. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us. You're a brilliant story. Uh, it may get even better later this season. Not too many people have won one NBL title, let alone two for multiple clubs. And hopefully, for your sake and for the team's sake, you'll be around the mark and trying to get a third in a couple of months' time. So good luck for the rest of the season. Oh, thank you very much. And now it's time to enter the lair, and we're heading back in time to speak to one of the most influential players in Perth Lynx history. She is part of an elite group of women to have won a WNBA championship for the club, but she stands alone as the only grand final MVP in Perth Lynx history. Tanya Fisher, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start on that historic night in 1992. It's so long ago that Paul Keating was Prime Minister. Perth Wildcats have won only two titles. Shane's worn test career had produced four for 386. I was near 11 and our producer wasn't born. So if we go back there, it was the Waste Breakers at the time. You were known as you beat Daniel Dong 58-54. What are your standout memories of the game? Well, um, my standout memories were, I can remember turning to Natasha when the final buzzer blew and looking at her and just going, thank God, because <laughs> it had been such a, a hard year and such a, a transformative year for us as a team. I mean, we'd started, you know, really getting some traction when Timsey came over, but that year was the first year that we were under the care and direction solely with Waste and, and driven by Tom Ma. We'd been through an extensive fitness regime to bring us up to that point. We'd, we'd endured, you know, the start of the season. Then we had a month break because they had the Barcelona Olympics in the middle of it, which Timsey and Robin were involved with. So we had to survive keeping up her training regime over the months, a bit similar to what the girls are facing these days as well with the way that the schedule is. And then finally playing the, the grand final in October. So it was a really long season when you look at the fact that pre-season started in January. You mentioned names like Timsey, Robin, Tom Ma, like <laughs> Michelle Timms, Robin Ma, Tully Beverlacqua was in that group as well, and, and Tom Ma. They're, they're iconic names in, in Australian basketball. And you were quite young at the time. What was it like to be hanging around those sorts of people as a young person? Um, I don't think at the time when you're when you're in it, you appreciate the the significance of the moment. I mean, I mean, Robin playing alongside Robin Ma. Let me just tell you, I have. I still think to this day, if I had to pick the number one person on my team, it would be her because the woman just never makes an error. She's just where she needs to be all the time. And she was still out running most of us on beach runs when she was six months pregnant after we took out the title as well. She's She is and will always be in my mind as being one of the most intimidating players I've ever come across in my life. Um, uh, Timsey, we've been playing with for two years by then, so we were well accustomed to her quirky sense of humour. But again, she's just unbelievably inspirational. Tom Ma was by far and away the best coach I've ever had ever. Like he, he's a teacher by training and it comes out in everything that he does. He's prepared, he plans, he structures and he very rarely actually yells. He doesn't have to. He just gets his point across in other ways. And Tully Bevelacqua, believe it or not, was just the little junior hanging around the end of the bench at that stage, sort of looking on with wide eyes and uh, we had no concept of what she was going to become either. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, quite an inspirational group when I look back and um, and I'm honoured to have been able to play for and with the people that were there. So how old were you at the time? Because you'd been around for a few years at that point. What what, what age were you in, in, in that in, when you won that oh, title? Do I have to give that away? It's hard it's because it makes them realise how old you are. I'm not trying to give the, the listeners a concept of where you sort of sat in, the, in that group of, of big names. 
I was in my very early 20s. Very early, that, was so, what, yeah. that was what I thought you were going to say, very early 20s. Uh, so when you look at information about the game back then, it's, it's quite hard to find to because there aren't a lot of records, unfortunately. But what I've been able to find in our library is you scored 15 points, 11 of them came in the first half, and a match report described you as having a swag of rebounds. Um, can you talk about your game specifically? Um, I think that, um, look, they had a hard time. We had a, we had a really – you look at the first five, that we had, we had a, an extremely skilled group. Every single person that was on the on the floor in that first five, particularly, and that flooded over into the bench as well. But the first five, any single one of us could have actually scored easily the fifteen points, and customarily did so. But I think it was just that I took advantage of the fact that you can't shut all five of us down at the at the same time. So as much as you'd love to say, yeah, I was a champion, it was very much in my mind. Um, I had no concept of what I'd scored until the end of the game was coming because it was all about a team effort and a team way of trying to get the ball in the hole to win it, you know. So it was only a four-point margin in the end. No one thought we could do it. We we had already annoyed the East Coast by securing the grand final in our home court. So um, so we're already fighting against that. Um, so I remember the game. It like you know, it was it was tough. It was it was unbelievable. And and I'd see my own performance only as a reflection of what that group was. Then it was just an amazing group. It's so hard to win at any level of sport and you went so close again a few years later you had a one point loss in another grand final mm. got down to a final three then lost another mm. grand final to a young AIS team that included Lauren Jackson and half the Opals team for the future like <laughs> how do you reflect on winning one and then being so close to others like a lot of people say that they only look at the losses and they're the ones that they wake up remembering every single day do you celebrate all the time that you won one or do you look back and in frustration, you didn't win more, like a lot of professional athletes do. Oh, God, that's a, that's a that's a tough question. You always remember the losses hurt the most, but they're meant to hurt the most because the wins are so much fewer. You know, like they're, they're the ones that you you're lucky if you get a handful of them in your lifetime because there's only one one going at the end of every season. You know, so the losses sting though. The one point loss to um, the next year after that was that was a killer. And that went right down to the line, like right down to the last shot. And, and um, you know, I wasn't involved in the grand final against the AIS. I'd sort of stepped back and, and came back in later after that. But, I mean, that team, Lauren Jackson, I can remember playing against her when she was 14. She was already formidable, you know. So um, it, when, when you look back and reflect, the you know, what the actual WA team was doing at that point in time, they stepped well out and, out and above and beyond but, um, yeah, the losses hurt, but the win was, I have no words. <laughs> and, and MVP, weren't you hit? Does it, do people raise it with you much or as being the MVP or do they talk to you more about being the championship winner when you, when people talk about your success within basketball circles? Well, as you say, there's not a lot of information out there, so it was only the people that were there that understood what that was, you know, what that was like that night that sort of remember, you know, the, the point status at the end of the game. But, um, but the 1992 grand final comes up all the time because, of course, it's the only one we've secured so far. I'm hoping that we're going to come close uh, to doing it this year. But, um, yeah, so far it's the only one. So that's what people tend to remember more. Uh, it's a shame because I look back on that and because we didn't have social media and we just had less of a representation, you know, less um, mediums to be able to um, present the girls that a lot of the history for key players in that time has kind of been lost and is not actually um, brought up as much as it should be. So I think it's more the win that, and, you know, I, can, I don't like to point out my performance, like I said, like I think it was part of the team's 
team side of things, but it's definitely the win that sticks in people's mind because <laughs> we just haven't had enough of them. <laughs> we have, we've, we haven't had enough, as you say, and we had the 2015-16 team, which went close, you know, got to a grand final and lost, the 2017-18 mm. team, which was ripped off from even getting mm. to a grand final. We've seen it in the AFL recent years, Sydney break a drought, then Geelong break a drought, then the Bulldogs, mm. Richmond, Melbourne, and how emotional it was, not only mm. for the players, the fans, but the ex-players as well. Do you feel like the, the players of the past are hanging out for someone else to win a championship for this club? Oh, it's it's long overdue, like seriously. And it's, look, you know, like it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a hard call. We, we really want them to win again. We really want there to be a history behind that because I think that that actually, in a way, enhances what we did back in 92, you know, and it gives us a chance to talk about the history again as well and sort of, you know, and to make sure that credit is given where credit was due. Um, and, yeah, so we've all, we're all hanging out. We all, and I think we're all, <laughs> uh, we're almost getting to the point where we're too scared to hope because we've come close so many times and we just haven't pipped and got that gold medal yet. So what's the bond like between yourself and that group, that 92 group? How strong has the bond been forged by that championship? Um, inc- like, it, it, look, it's still there today. You know, it's it's still there in the in the um, respect and the connection that we have with Timsey and Robin. The hardest part about that bond is that it was such a successful group that they ended up spread out all over Australia. So it's, you know, but thank God for social media and, you know, and um, and Facebook and ways to keep in touch now. So we're all parts of the same group and all part of the same conversation. Tasha Barges was based up in Port Hedland for years and her job up there. And so I got to visit her when I was um, up there working, which I can consider myself extremely blessed to be able to do so, to be able to catch up with her about three or four times a year, which is fantastic. So the bond is always there and it, and it transcends like even a word like friendship because only the people that were in it can understand what the cost was to actually bring that home. And you had a COVID safe number of people to a house on the weekend to watch the Lynx play their first game back in Perth for a while. <laughs> how many of those, co- that, that, that number of COVID safe people were, <laughs> were from that group and how many of them were from other groups you've played with and against over the years? Yeah, not from, there was no one from that group. The group that I had was got sort of people that were involved to get us to the point where we were competing in WNBL and um, people that sort of came after that. Um, and uh, yeah, and then after that, it's the junior contingent because, of course, I've made sure that my girls understand the history and the importance and the relevance of the people that came before them so that they get to enjoy the benefits of what they did on the back of what they did. So, yeah, no, but it, we, <laughs> we all sat at home, did the COVID safe thing um, to, to be able to watch the game. So both on Saturday and then last night again as well. So, yeah, yeah. But um, because we're still not, there's still not enough of us in one place. Timsy and Michelle are over in, uh, Timsy and Robin are over in um, Victoria. Tasha's still based up in Port Hedland. Um, Lisa McLean's the only one here in Perth with myself and everyone else is spread out all over the globe. Tully, of course, is back in America. Yeah, it's a it's a widely flung group. <laughs> so let's go back to the 87 team you mentioned. So that's the Waste Rockets, they were called at the time. And uh, you won the national title, which led to being added to the WNBL. You're the only person who was part of that team and part of the grand final team. What was that yeah. 87 experience? Because we wanted to go into the WNBL, we were told by our East Coast counterparts that in order to qualify, we had to actually take out a conference league um, title to do so. We didn't have the budget to be able to go over there and to be able to compete on a weekly basis. So we actually had to go on a road trip that consisted of 17, uh, 17 games in 21 days in every state of Australia. And we figured out that in order for us to be able to qualify to get through to the finals, we would have to win a minimum of nine and we ended up taking out 10. 
and then we had to go back and play compete against in Adelaide in the grand final in the finals and grand finals, and we took out the championship, the Conference League championship, where no one said that we could. So it was the stuff that you should really write movies about. That road trip, it really it required incredible personal sacrifice for you know women to be able to pack up their lives and to go on the road for 21 days. You know when they're not you're not getting paid for it, and um, and the fact that we actually managed to take out the entire title was just something they never believed that we could do. So yeah, it was fantastic. It's an insane mm. schedule. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yes, it really was. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at their schedule, this current team at the moment, like they were eight games in 24 days, I think it was, and then it's going to be another eight games in 26 they're working through at the moment. Does there feel like you could some similarities to the history of the club that maybe you know, they're gonna, with finals thrown in, they're going to have to win you know, a certain number of games in, it'll be 12 or 13 games they'll play in 40 days or so it's, it's it is leaning towards the same sort of trend isn't it it is and look and, and look i wish that we I wish I always wish that because um, I I would have liked to have heard from players that came before me when I was playing too because you do get the benefit of their wisdom and that's why having Robin was so significant for us. But when I hear about their schedule, it doesn't really matter what the schedule is. Yeah, you can fight for a better one, you can fight for a, a fairer deal, you can fight for better terms. But the bottom line is, it is what it is. And once it's set in stone and that's what it's going to be, then you just have to suck it up and go at it hard. And you just can't accept any excuses as being a reason for for losses or for not. Getting through is just what you have to do, you know. So we've done it before. We'll do it again. Can they win it? Do they have the talent? Do they have the game plan? Do they have teamsmanship that you need? All that, all of the the things that are required to win a championship, other than talent. Do you think they've got it? I do. I do. I think the thing that they're struggling with at the moment is a um, common WA problem for women's basketball. We lack the layers where we can actually get adequate game practice um, of a, of the level that we need when we're back here in WA. That's a, that's an issue for us. So if you look at the team that played on Saturday night after they'd had their break versus a team that played Monday night, it was like polar opposites. And although Sheriff came back in on the Monday night, just the way they played, like one player can't make that level of difference as, as dominant as she is. Nothing taken, nothing away from Sheriff. Um, the t- the team that, that fronted up to play Adelaide last night was a completely different team than the one that stepped onto the court on Saturday. So they just need to hold on to that because that is, that's grand final winning stuff right there. How do you rate Jackie Young at the moment as a basketballer? She's um, in some pretty damn good form. Oh, she's hit form at the right end of the season and that's when it counts. And she was just, uh, she was amazing. Absolutely amazing. They just really, really struggled to put a lid on anything she was doing last night. And that that in turn frees up um, Sammy a lot more. And they've got to, when they've got to actually put a lot of um, defensive intensity into, into Jackie, then, you know, Sammy gets a little bit more of a rain and they've got um, they've got Mabry coming back in as well so they've got another chief scorer coming in so it's going to be you know the, the more they have come back and when they come back full contingent the harder they're going to be to stop so it was quite inspirational Well speaking of Young it's probably not a surprise to see she'll appear in our Dribble Podcast MVP votes for this week so for the game against the Sydney <laughs> Uni Flames which wasn't great it's fair to say it was hard to find three uh, but we went one vote to Darcy <laughs> Garbin for ten rebounds two blocks and three steals two votes Sammy Wickham 14 points five assists and six steals, and three votes Jackie Young, 28 points, six rebounds, and four steals. And then in the Adelaide game, where everyone played well, it was quite amazing. Mm. One vote to Alex Cipatoni, 13 points, mm. including three three-pointers and seven assists. Two votes Sammy Wickham for 22 points, five rebounds, four assists, and four steals. And three votes Jackie Young, who did everything, 30 points, oh, seven yeah. rebounds, yep. six assists, and five steals. Marina Mabry still leads on 15, but Young is now on 14 votes, overtaking Lauren Scherf on 13. Now, we've talked a lot about 92. Let's talk about more recent times. You're a former East Perth Eagles coach in the SBL. What are your favourite memories as coach? 
<laughs> oh, wow. Um, favorite memories as coach, probably the, the games that we did actually manage to see were, um, come up and win. Like we we took out Willerton in my second year and the games that we came close, like it was a development phase when I was coaching them and I took the hits on the chin because the club and myself sat down and worked out what we had to do to put us in a better position, you know, like it was a five-year plan. So um, so the ones that, were, that stand out in my mind are the ones where that potential started shining through and other people got to see what we were doing and that certainly held true for this year when they went right through to you know got knocked out just for the preliminary final so my yeah they're, they're the things that you live for as a coach I think it's uh, for me it's not it's not just the wins for me it's actually seeing the fruit of labors to see people come through to see what you're doing actually start to bloom and, and hit fruition that was that's what I'll remember from it yeah would you get back into it do you think is it something that you got a passion for or or watching your daughter's play is that more important to you at the moment well I think I think that's got to take precedence for a little bit like it's for me to take a step back and and just be able to be their support system because it hasn't always been possible to to do everything and um, from a personal level I've got masters coming up this year um, for basketball over here in Perth that's been played in April and and um, and training for swimming so I I'm prioritizing myself as a as an athlete at the moment over coaching it's probably something I'll go back into later but I I like to work more in the developmental phase more so than the than the elite level I love watching the elite level and I can and I certainly understand it, the mindset of it but I think that the bit that's missing over here in WA is that development piece I think that we've got a lot of gaps in that and that translates out to our difficulties from a female perspective when we compete at nationals and the juniors and things like that so I'd like to be able to contribute to that in the future and to to be able to provide a solution for that or to be you know be able to contribute in some way to other people providing a solution but we'll just leave it open and see what happens I imagine you've contributed fairly heavily to Erin and Bree's basketball journeys one uh, Aaron, was Erin went to the US for three years was it am I right it was three or was yes. it four yeah three years and yep, they're, three both, years, they're yep. both at East Perth now like, where, where do you see their careers taking them um, well I've got two very very diverse daughters one's more of an academic and one's more of an athlete Erin lives breathes and and dies for basketball um, and Bree's Bree loves playing it is a is an outstanding athlete but is more she's on her fifth year of law and criminology so she's got a fairly hefty um, you know commitment career wise coming up for her at the end of this year so it's up to them but I, I always encourage them to, to stay competitive because you never know like you know you only have to look at Emma Gandini like coming in this year and the impact that she's had like she's she's been amazing when she hits on the when she gets on the court given that she's had no exposure to WNBL and yet every time she's come on the floor she's hit the stat sheet in significant ways you know for her very limited time out there so you just never know at what stage of your life that the opportunity comes up and you're in the right place and headspace to be able to to take that on so I encourage my daughters to to look at it the same way so Erin's still keen to um to make her mark in NBL one but she's coming back from a knee injury at the moment um and Brie I think is happy to compete in that but I don't think she's looking at moving forward on from that but who knows when that'll change so that's that's on them that's their journey and their journey to define you mentioned your swimming before trying to swim to Rotto like <laughs> where does the motivation come from like it's it's amazing I reckon athletes never stop being athletes in their own head but it's hard to do it <laughs> as you get 30 years beyond the 1992 championship um so where, where did the motivation to try to swim to Rottnest come from well I've always liked swimming I'm, I'm a strong swimmer but I'm not what I'd say the fastest swimmer but I'm certainly strong 
Um, so and so, I would never go for. I would never compete in swimming in a like in a like in a sprint. You wouldn't believe how how fast women can be at an older age group. Like it's just it's quite incredible how long they can keep that competitive urge to 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 go. But um, swimming to Rottnest is always something I want to do because I just I enjoy the process so much and I enjoy. I have when I'm undergoing any kind of physical activity and my ankles won't let me run too much these days. They are still complaining about the career that I had in basketball. So swimming's a really good compromise for me. It's something that I can keep moving forward and keep challenging myself and keep pushing myself physically without it having the same toll on my body. And it's quite frankly, at this stage, it's like a meditative process. Like it's just, it's one of those things that I've found a real love for later in life. And so I've got to have a goal. If I'm going to actually be doing something, I need to know where I'm going with it. Uh, it's brilliant. Well, just finally, we have a segment on the Dribble podcast called This or That. Jump to either side of the fence, depending on which, you, which way you would prefer to lean. And the question this week is, we're seeing such a rise in the standard of both NBL and WNBL. Do you think 40 minutes is still the right time for games or is it time to move back to 48-minute matches? Time to move back to 48-minute matches. I can never I can never figure why you want to shorten that. It takes away the elements of like fatigue is a big thing and if you really want to see that you really want to test an athlete to their, to their limits of their endurance, make it longer. It's, it adds another element to the competition where you've got to have better aerobic capacity to see the match through. So, yeah, I'd like to see it at 48 minutes again. Oh, it should be good fun watching a bit more basketball every single week, that's for sure. Well, look, thank <laughs> you for joining us. You are a towering figure in Perth Link slash Breakers history and it's been great to give people a reminder about your success and the team's success and the contribution that you've all made to basketball in this state. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate that. Well, that's it for the Dribble Podcast this week. Remember, keep logging on to thewest.com.au for all your basketball news and pick up your copy of The West Australian. Thanks to Samantha Rogers for her production work. Thanks to Majuk Majuk and Tanya Fisher for their time. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Dribble Podcast.